It was a sunny morning in June, 1977. With not a cloud in sight, Charlotte, or Char as her loved ones called her, walked out of her home on the windward side of Oahu. She was pushing a stroller which held her five-month-old son, Marks. Char walked to a local bus stop and then seemingly vanished into thin air. Hours later, only the stroller would be found. And that would be the last sign of the duo for nearly 35 years. Where were Char and baby Marks? This is Missing in Hawaii, and I'm your host, Julie Morgan. Today, we're discussing the disappearance of Charlotte Moriarty and her son, five-month-old baby Marks. Before we begin, a content warning. Some of the topics in this episode may be distressing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This missing person report begins all the way back in 1975. Honolulu on the island of Oahu was right on the cusp of transforming into the crowded metropolitan island of today. Construction of the H1 freeway, which runs from Ainahaina on the windward side to Pearl City in central Oahu, had recently been completed. But the rest of the island was still a patchwork of sugarcane and pineapple fields. The H2 freeway that now runs from Pearl City North to Wahiwa was just breaking ground. And the H3, which goes up the windward side of the island, would not begin construction for another five years. These were the final days of the Vietnam War. And throughout the war, Hawaii was the only U.S. state that service members could visit for R&R during their tour. Every service member was entitled to one six-day R&R trip during their year in Vietnam. If they extended that year by more than 90 days, they were entitled to a second R&R. Besides Honolulu, they could select from a handful of other major cities in the Pacific Rim. Sydney, Taipei, Bangkok, Tokyo, Manila, or Hong Kong. But Honolulu was the closest location to home and the most popular destination for R&R. More than 10,000 service members cycled through the R&R Center at Fort DeRussi on Waikiki Beach each month. In addition to the huge influx of military personnel, more than 12,000 family members also flew to Honolulu each month to reunite with their loved ones. Honolulu offered a relaxing and healing R&R experience, with one part exotic paradise and one part Americana. It's no surprise then that many Vietnam veterans chose to return to Hawaii after their military obligation was over. Mark Barnes was one of those veterans. After serving in Vietnam with the Navy, he moved to a little studio apartment just off the Kamehameha Highway on the windward side of Oahu. One day in 1975, there was a knock on Mark's door. 29-year-old Charlotte Moriarty with her bright blue eyes and curly brown hair was on the other side of that door. She and a friend had chosen his apartment at random to ask for directions to a local hotel. Charlotte and her friend were invited in and ended up chatting with Mark all day long. Char was a free spirit. She was known to be impulsive and to go where her heart took her. By the next day, she had moved in with Mark. Over the next two years, Char and Mark built a life together. Char continued to be the free spirit he fell in love with, and she would wander away from time to time, going where her heart took her, chatting with people who interested her. 
She would disappear for a few days at a time, but she always came home. That was just Char. In 1977, Char gave birth to the couple's first child, a son who they named Marks, spelled M-A-R-X. This was Charlotte's second child. She had an eight-year-old daughter from a previous marriage. Her daughter was living with her ex-husband, but Char was still very much involved in her daughter's life. She had been through pregnancy and childbirth before, so she knew what to expect with Marks. But something about this birth and the transition to a family of three was hard on Char. For the first three weeks of baby Marks' life, Char experienced a significant deterioration in her mental health. For those first three weeks, Char wore a blindfold night and day. Mark provided all the care for both Char and their new baby. After three weeks, Char started feeling better and was acting more like herself. You may be wondering why Mark didn't seek psychiatric help for Char during those weeks. Well, she wasn't hurting anyone. The blindfold was unusual, but not dangerous. And in the 70s, there was a much higher bar for seeking mental health care. At that time, the public viewed psychiatry as being repressive, coercive, and often more damaging than helpful. Mental health was not talked about, and unusual behavior was viewed as a personal choice. So Mark and Char worked through it alone. After a few more months, those difficult first weeks were all but forgotten. Mark's continued to grow, and by that summer, Charlotte was looking forward to having her eight-year-old daughter visit to meet her new baby brother. One beautiful morning, a few weeks before the scheduled visit with her daughter, Char packed five-month-old Marks into his collapsible stroller for a walk around the neighborhood. Hours passed, and when they didn't return, Mark started to worry. By midday, he decided to look for them. He thought maybe Char had gotten distracted chatting or admiring something beautiful, but his family was nowhere to be found. And even more troubling, at the bus stop, the stroller, but no baby Marks. Mark knew from past experiences when Char wandered off for a few days that the police were unlikely to accept a report until after 48 hours had passed. And even then, adults can go wherever they want to go. So unless there was evidence she was missing against her will or in danger, there was not much they could or would do. Just a quick sidebar, I just want to be really clear that now in 2022, there is no wait time to report someone missing. Call 911 to notify local law enforcement if someone you love goes missing. But back in 1977, because Mark believed this would be like every other time and she would surely come home, the official missing persons report was not filed for nearly three weeks. This delay in reporting has caused some people to speculate that Mark had something to do with her disappearance. But he describes coordinating searches with friends and neighbors throughout the island during that time. As Mark describes it, he did everything but grab both sides of the island and shake it upside down to find them. After more than a year and a half of driving all over the island, Mark had accepted that Char must have decided to leave him and hidden somewhere with their baby. After exhausting all possibilities in the search for his family, Mark decided to move back to California where he had lived before the war. There, he did his best to move on. He fell in love, he got married, he raised two children. But in 2001, 
Mark's past came back to haunt him. Shar's family was renewing efforts to find out what happened to her. Shar's sister and Shar's daughter, now all grown up, decided to visit a psychic to see if they could find answers from the spirit world. That psychic convinced the women that Mark had murdered and buried both Charlotte and baby Mark's. The women contacted Honolulu police and asked them to reopen the missing persons case and to investigate Mark for murder. Detectives from HPD visited California twice to conduct lie detector tests and to question Mark. Mark was never charged with a crime and no new evidence about Shar and Mark's was discovered. During this same time period, Mark and his wife were going through an ugly divorce. A reporter from Hawaii contacted Mark's wife to get her statement on the accusations of murder against Mark. She and her attorney then used the information about the investigation in filing for a temporary restraining order against Mark. Through her attorney, she stated that Mark may have been involved in multiple homicides. A few months later, Mark sued the attorney of his ex for slander, abusive process, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Only the emotional distress complaint was considered. Since no formal charges had been filed against Mark, and because the police were not involved in the divorce litigation, the judge in the case ruled that the statements suggesting Mark is guilty of multiple homicides were spiteful slurs and clearly made for the purpose of furthering the ex-wife's interests in the divorce case. Mark was not charged with any crimes relating to the disappearance of Shar and Mark's, but the renewed interest in the case resulted in the Honolulu Cold Case Squad working with the Center for Missing and Exploited Children to create an age progression photo of Mark's. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children was not established until 1984, so this was the first time Mark's was listed on a national database that could be accessed by the public. But then, Another decade passed, and still no signs of Shar or Marks. In 2012, 34 years after the disappearance of Shar and Marks, a Philadelphia man named Steve Carter was starting to wonder about his birth parents. His attempts to learn their identities had always hit a dead end. All he knew was that he had lived in an orphanage in Hawaii until age four when his parents adopted him. Before the adoption, his name was Tenzin Amiya. According to his birth certificate, he was half Native Hawaiian. And one odd detail, his birth certificate was not filed until he was nearly a year old. Around this same time, Steve read a news story about a woman who discovered her own baby photo on the National Missing Persons database. Through that photo, she learned that she had been kidnapped as an infant and she solved her own cold missing persons case. Just out of curiosity, Steve decided to browse the missing persons database for people who were born in Hawaii in 1977. And when he came across the age-enhanced photo of Mark's that had been created in 2001, as the locals would say, he got chicken skin, full body chills. The birth date was different, but with the other overlapping details, he contacted Honolulu Crime Stoppers. DNA tests were conducted, and sure enough, Steve was Mark's, found after 34 years. 
Marks remained in state custody for nearly four years until the military couple looking to adopt instantly fell in love with him. After his adoptive father's tour in Hawaii ended, the family moved to several other U.S. states, eventually settling in the Philadelphia area. Marks describes his childhood as happy, and he's grown up to be a successful businessman with a family of his own. In the years since this discovery, Marks has met his birth family and continues to process the shock that he was once a missing person. His birth father, Mark, also claims that the Honolulu Police Department apologized for treating him like a suspect. But how did Marks end up in an orphanage with a different name and a different birthday? And where was Charlotte? Let's go back to 1977. Something happened to Char after she left the house that day. We don't know exactly what, but authorities pieced together that a woman broke into a home and lived there with her baby for a few days before the owner returned. The owner asked her to leave, but she refused, and she was behaving erratically, so the owner called the police. When questioned, the woman told the police that her name was Jane Amea. But she was also saying bizarre things and acting strangely, so the baby, who she said was named Tenzin Amea, was taken into state custody while Shar was taken to a mental health facility for a few days. Mental health care has historically been understaffed and underfunded. Mental health care in 1970s Hawaii was in the process of dramatic change, with care transitioning from institutions to the community. The number of people receiving residential care in an institution had dropped from over a thousand to less than 200 in just a few years. A study published in a 1975 issue of the Journal of Psychiatry suggested that Hawaii in particular had a problem with continuity of care for psychiatric patients. Too many patients were falling through the cracks in the system, and people who would have received residential care in the past were either getting lost to follow-up or receiving less than adequate care in the community. Char is likely one of those patients lost to follow-up. She walked out of that hospital and there are no more official records for her, either medical or legal. And because of the name and birth date discrepancy, Jane and Tenzin were never suspected of being the missing Char and Marks. After leaving the hospital, Char did not return to reclaim baby Marks from state custody. So what happened to Char? For 34 years, Mark believed that Char left him and hid their son from him. With no evidence to point in any other direction, maybe she did just walk away and start a new life. The problem with that theory is that she never contacted any of her friends or family ever again. Did she abandon not just her newborn and her partner, but also her eight-year-old daughter, all of her family and friends? If she was physically able to contact them, I believe she would have. Some have questioned if she might have joined a cult. The Source family cult, whose charismatic leader, Father Yod, and his 14 wives, was active on Oahu at that time, not far from Shar's home. Cult indoctrination often includes the purposeful isolation of inductees and the shunning of old relationships. Could she have fallen in with a cult and left her old identity behind? Another possibility is more sinister. During the same time frame that Shar went missing, 
The first ever recorded serial killer in the state of Hawaii was terrorizing the state. Eugene Barrett was active in Honolulu from 1959 to 1995. He was out on parole from one of his stints in prison from 1976 until his next arrest in the mid-80s. He's officially charged with murdering three women, but suspected of many more. Eugene Barrett overlapped with a second serial killer, known as the Honolulu Strangler. This killer has never been officially identified, so his dates of activity are a little unclear. According to the FBI, the Honolulu Strangler was an opportunistic and organized killer who attacked women in vulnerable locations like bus stops and parking lots. The man suspected of being the Honolulu Strangler was an aircraft mechanic who traveled to Hawaii often from 1968 until 1983. Then he moved to Honolulu and the murders increased dramatically. Shar would have been especially vulnerable to these depraved murderers due to her mental health status at the time and because her age and sex matches the description of confirmed victims. Today, there are still 23 cold cases in Hawaii dating back to 1970 of women who were murdered, reported missing, or who were discovered deceased and never identified. In 1996, the partial remains of a Caucasian female were found. Authorities could barely determine the possible age or any other demographics. They estimated age to be somewhere between 40 and 60 years, but without a torso, it was difficult to confirm. I spoke to the state medical examiner's office to find out if the DNA profile of Charlotte had been compared to that of the unidentified female. Char went missing in 1977 long before DNA technology was incorporated into medical forensics. The unidentified remains were found in 1996 when DNA was just emerging and was primarily used in criminal cases, not in missing persons cases. So until my call in 2022, Char's DNA had not been compared to the unidentified remains. I can now confirm that they are not a match. And to be fair, the items found with the unidentified remains did not match Char's demographics. But even so, I think it's important to rule out all possibilities. It's worth it to retrace our steps and leave no stone unturned. If Char is still alive, she would be 77 years old. She has blue eyes and is approximately five foot six inches tall. Her natural hair color was brown. Her last known whereabouts were the windward side of Oahu. If you lived in Hawaii in 1977, or if you know anything about Charlotte Moriarty's disappearance, please call Honolulu Crime Stoppers at Star Crime. That's Star C-R-I-M-E. Her family deserves to know what happened to her. This has been Missing in Hawaii. Thank you for listening and for honoring the memory of the missing with me. You can help this podcast grow by subscribing and leaving a review. If you have a missing loved one that you would like featured on the show, please see the show notes for contact information. The show notes can be found by swiping up from the Missing in Hawaii logo on the episode page. This episode was written and edited by me, Julie Morgan. Music by Epidemic Sound. Theme song is The Rivers Told Me Lies by Daniel Gunnarsson from his 2019 album, Nothing Makes Sense Anymore, available on most streaming services. 
Join us next time on Missing in Hawaii as we search for answers and preserve the memory of those who have gone missing throughout the Hawaiian Islands. Until next time, I wish you peace. The river